Welcome to Grief Recovery Now podcast. I'm your host, Charlene Gorzella, your grief recovery specialist. This podcast is being produced just for you, someone who has been challenged and heartbroken over a significant and devastating loss, death, divorce, sudden life change, or the many other ways we experience grief. You will be taken on a conversational journey with me and some special guests who have come out the other side of grief and committed to small, powerful, and courageous steps that made all the difference in their lives for the better. I want to instill in you on what is possible, that joy, hope, peace, and happiness is closer than you think. While your life is forever changed, you can have a beautiful new outlook on your relationships and loss with a sense of completion that goes deep in your soul. Ready, set, now. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. This is Charlene Gorzella, your host for Grief Recovery Now podcast. So happy you're here today. I am so grateful, especially during these times, that the Grief Recovery Now podcast is around, up and running for people who are grieving, people who have experienced sudden extreme loss, devastating loss changes of all kinds. And that's one of the definitions of grief is when sudden change is happening in your life. It could be a loss of a loved one. And the it could be someone sick and all kinds of chapters that you go through. And then until the finality of a death, expected death, unexpected death, loss of a loved one. Nowadays, we have dating, we have ghosting. That's sort of a death of of hope and possibilities of someone you had a great conversation with. And all of a sudden they just ghosting, if you don't know what it means. And I know we have people all over the world listening is when someone just all of a sudden you're having a relationship, or even if you've gone on five dates and all of a sudden they just drop you like a hot potato and you don't know what happens. That is a form of grief. There must be at least 40 forms of grief that we can experience. So my mission is to make sure to let people know it is okay, more than okay, to experience grief and loss through even the the pandemic or a job loss or even a change role that you've been in in your work. It's sometimes conflicting changes that happen. You're happy that you got the job, but yet you're going to leave things behind, like friends that you have in your department or the uncertainty that comes with newness in life or sudden changes or sudden changes that are going to be coming up. So welcome in wherever you are. Please do not downplay. If you're feeling something and it's hindering your life in some way, maybe even small ways where you're eating more, you're not eating, you're not showing up to your friends, you're not saying yes to life or whatever that means to you, we are here for you. Also, if you know of anyone, a beloved friend, or even your next door neighbor seems to have some changes in their life. You know, let's be there for each other, okay? And if you feel this podcast is worthy of their time or you got something out of it and they can benefit from it, please share it on all the social media platforms, word of mouth. We're here for you. Come as you are. That's what I call our podcast. Come as you are podcast. At the beginning of each episode, I have an off the cuff with Charlene Gorzella. And today I thought I would talk about what's going on in the world today. There's so much going on. And I could not have this podcast without bringing up what's happening in Ukraine and Russia. A lot of loss going on there. A lot of certainty. I am just touched beyond measure the pain I feel 
for what is going on there, the injustice and whatever you feel about what's going on. If you're from Eastern Europe, I know uh, my family is from Poland. I have I took in two Ukrainian 16 year olds years ago who are going through heart surgery from Ukraine when I was living in Chicago, had them at my house for six weeks. They were 16 year olds had were able to have free surgery in the United States through the Rotary International. And I took them for six weeks. And I have to tell you, it's just a beautiful spirit about the Ukraine people. And we're all in this together. And I'm so happy we're all uniting. I'm happy about that. This is where you, uh, mixed emotions come in. I'm happy that we're all banding together and support of Ukraine and the injustices that are happening right now. And What's going on? Seeing babies in neonatal having to go in bomb shelters, people in um, subways in their train station. It's winter there right now. Everything that goes through us. And I thought about this. I don't know if you remember Wizard of Oz for I know I watched it. I don't know if you watched it. And I remember Dorothy with her dog Toto was going down you know, in this forest. Right. And she was one of the songs was lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. And I thought today, I was like, pandemic, politics, and war. Oh, my. We are getting a lot thrown at us. We've got social media, Facebook, LinkedIn. I don't know how much news is in LinkedIn. I'm not in as much as I used to be. Television, um, Instagram. We're getting bombarded with news of loss and devastation on so many levels. I have to tell you, and I've said this many times, is that I believe the third pandemic could be grief. And NBC wrote an article about that. So please take care of yourself. The nervous system gets affected by extreme grief. It's trauma. It's traumatic. That's what's happening there. The uncertainty, being displaced, afraid you're going to have a bomb on, you know, thrown at you. You're saying goodbye at the train station to your father when you're three years old. This is not for nothing. Why I'm here is grief recovery. And that's what I teach here. And I take my clients through. It is a recalibration of the grief that you're going through. You don't forget about the things that have happened. And you'll talk about, we'll talk about this with our guest, Poppy, but we walk around in certain filters that affect us for the rest of your life. I know what affected my life. And so I want to wake up the world on what grief recovery can be and do for you and forever change you for the better. So thank you for listening. And let's go to my favorite portion of the podcast. Let me introduce my guest, Poppy Farjijani. She's an author, mentor, motivational speaker, marketing, media entrepreneur. Poppy is an experienced founder and entrepreneur with a knack for communication and creative problem solving. As the media and marketing lead for UR24 Technology, she brings a unique perspective because of having worked in the broadcast media industry as a reporter, evening news anchor, producer, talk show host for various news channels, including CBS, Radio BBC. After receiving her MBA from Pepperdine University, she launched her natural oil perfume company, Poppy Farsi Johnny fragrance in retail outlets across the U United States. A New York City native, Ms. Farsi Johnny loves people and creating things, is the author of Shaming My Red Lips. Her memoir, 
on female empowerment that describes her journey as a reporter in the Middle East. This is where we're going to be talking about her grief recovery and her experience in the Middle East. It's fascinating. And that's why I have her on the podcast today. Her book is currently being made into a picture and is a strong supporter of female empowerment. We're going to have all her social media links there for you. So please take a listen throughout the podcast, and then we'll tell you a little bit about more uh, how you can reach her. So welcome, Poppy. So glad to have you today. Thank you so much, Charlene. It's a pleasure to be here, pleasure to be with your audience, and I'm honored to share this, this journey of mine with you and your listeners. Great. Well, an honor for me too, and us. So help me welcome Poppy, everybody. And Poppy, as I told you before the podcast, we talked about what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. I loved your story. I read a lot of your book, but the beginning really got me. I couldn't imagine being your age, being told at 16, you're moving to Iran from New York City. And knowing you, you are like snap, crackle, pop. And I can't imagine. Can you tell us a little bit about that beginning before you went to Tehran? Yes. So I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. And with Brooklyn, what you see is what you get. Uh, It's all about being authentic. And then one day my father decided to take me back to the mothership country, Iran, because he thought that would be best for me and uh, get in touch with my cultural roots. And I was becoming too wild and wanted to kind of uh, control me. Unbeknownst to him, the culture shock, unbeknownst to him, all the things that would follow. So in his mind, he was making a very healthy choice for me. Although That resulted in a lot of hurt later on, which uh, I'll share with you. And that was the grief that I had to get over and figure it out. So, yeah. So at 16, I was biking Coney Island. I came home. Oh, uh, pack your bags. I said, wait, aren't you guys supposed to ask me if I want to go? Aren't I at that age where I should be respected and asked? And no, no, no. We're this is a good choice. And and I remember I felt so not being counted for when I wasn't asked because it wasn't like I was seven or eight years old. I was a teenager. So I had a voice and nobody wanted to hear me out, especially with such a big move. It was like moving from Brooklyn, a whole different country, different culture. It wasn't like moving to Long Island. It was moving to a whole continent. Yeah. And your parents, can I ask you, sorry to interrupt you, but I want to go back to your dad and mom. They moved to the United States for a reason. Did they forget why they moved? And can you, do you know why they moved to the United States in the first place? Once they got married, they moved for better opportunities for me to, for, for a better life, basically. And I think that when I hit my teenage years, my dad was very protective of me. And in his manual of how to take care of a very, maybe wild and outspoken daughter was to take her back. And he, they thought it was a great decision. And for like years, I hated them. I had graffiti on my walls when we went back to Iran of how I hated them. I like my diary was all dark. But then after the process that, you know, after, you know, the tumultuous time there and when we came back, my healing started to kick in that they weren't really victims of this because today they apologize but back then they were, they thought they were doing me service. And, you know, you lose a lot of money moving from one place to another place, you know, currency exchanges, shutting down one life, creating a new life. So they came here for a new experience, but I think as time changed, 
And I grew up, my, my dad said, oh, we're going to move back and that kind of stuff. So when we moved back, I didn't fit in. I was an alien in every way possible. I didn't speak the language. I couldn't answer. I was like, you hit the mute button when they asked me questions because I didn't know the language. And then sometimes when I did know the words, I was kind of made fun of because I didn't really say the the verbs and the nouns. <laughs> and then the whole metaphor of something may mean this, but it actually means that. And I was like, oh my God, did I just answer incorrectly? And And then the level of education, all of that was could be combined in the culture shock and then the hate towards my parents of why would parents do this to their child? I hate them. Aren't they supposed to be my front row protection? And then I had anger towards a country. Oh, this is my country. We're supposed to grow. We're supposed to, you know, I, again, from Brooklyn. So I had no idea it was a repressed country with religion with such a heavy, thick layer on it. And I said, isn't my country supposed to help me grow? Well, I'm not growing. What and happened then, before? Did you, because at that time you didn't have social media, Google or anything to say what's going on there. How much did you know about the country and what the climate was there? I don't mean the weather, the political yeah. climate, because it's changed throughout the years, of course. Did you know it was so oppressive? And as a teenager, being on the plane or however you got there, what was going on with you? I can't imagine how you felt as a teenager. Yeah. The the age part was definitely not right. I wouldn't take a peanut, especially because I was very outspoken. And in Iran, you can't be outspoken. You basically have to obey. What I knew of it was what I saw in the media in the U.S. and the movies that came out. Like we had Not Without My Daughter. And then in the summers, um, we came back to Iran and everybody cherished me because I was from America, you know, where the Backstreet Boys were, you know, stuff. You know, I was like this cool girl. And I really didn't. None of this was all I cared about was bike rides, getting our slush puppy, uh, having a great pizza, watching the Knicks game, or a crush on Robert in the playground while we were playing punch ball. That's I love the beginning of your book. Right. <laughs> Nobody, I didn't care about, I mean, I did care about my studies because my parents were really strict, but I really, everything else was, you know, I just took life like a wave. But in Iran, you really have to, it's all about getting married by your 18 and then either you have to go to university. It wasn't, living that carefree life. So everything suddenly was like this. Everything went from flow to, oh my God, I got to figure this out. I'm not going to make it if I don't figure it out with all the anger that was accumulated. So I didn't know much in answer to your question. I just knew what the media had shared with me and how I felt like in the like three weeks that my mom used to take me in summers, uh, which it was all parties and going to swim class and this. So it wasn't really much. How has it changed you? I know this is like what happened. You were there. How did it change you? I can't, knowing enough about the body, the nervous system, the crying, the grief, the sadness and the anger and all that happening. Did, has it, cha- did, has it changed you much? I As think- a young girl then, like all of a sudden your spirit is sort of squelched. And witnessing your parents, how was your parents' experience with you and just being in that you know, maybe they thought one thing and it turned out to be something else. There were so many layers, Charlene. One of them was my parents were starting to fight because I wasn't, uh, my health was deteriorating on a mental level. Uh, I was the top, I was smart. Like I, I had tutors, I had all of that stuff, but I, 
I managed to get accepted in a great university and stuff. So the academia part wasn't the the downfall. My thing was I I got arrested for wearing red lipstick on the street. And why would anybody arrest a female? But so it took a shock. Like I I would get all these like shock modes. And then I remember I was a reporter and I, I kept being told like you arouse men while you're on air. I'm like, what am I doing to arouse men? I'm smiling at my co-anchor. It's the same thing I did when I was a reporter here. I mean, what what is, so there was certain etiquette that I did not care for. And it was ridiculous from my point of view that I couldn't be myself while being professional. And, uh, and that was the Islamic layer to the whole situation. And then my health was going down from, and I became suicidal at one point. I, I literally, I remember, a couple of girls did commit suicide and that affected me. I'm like, well, maybe this is the way because my mom and dad were not going to come back. They were adamant to keep on staying there. Plus I had a, I had a really good job, but they weren't understanding the, the mental deterioration that was happening to me. And then an important part of the culture, right? Like you know, psychology and all that. I mean, nobody gives about psychology. Everybody's reputation. If I have this great job and this great degree on the wall, and if I look nice, that's perfect. But nobody know, didn't know deep inside. I cried every night and I wrote poetry to release it. And my friends that I had around me, they were like a really good group and a really bad group. So I had both of them. The good group took me into the, Deepak Chopra and the Leah Buscalia and read these books. And, and then the bad group, they were bad. A lot of them were druggies and stuff. And I was being pulled in two different directions because I had lost my identity. I didn't know who I was at that point. That's huge. Yeah. How old were you around that time? And you started getting jobs. How long were you there? Just so our listeners. I was 16 to 20, uh, 16 to 22. And then 23, I came back. Oh, okay. So that's a significant amount of time and different stages of life. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very, it's a very significant. And even right now that we're making the picture, I have hurdles that come up on the path of the entertainment world because I'm an entrepreneur and every day I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm just dropping this. I can't deal with this. And then right at sunrise, I feel this calling that this movie has to be done. Like I literally feel like a string pulling me because of the amount of suicides. I feel like I'm the leader and like the universe is telling me you are tasked to do this. So you better get up and you better start making calls again. So it's, it's important. And you know, you don't really have a girl from Brooklyn moving to Tehran, like Jay-Z and Beyonce and saying, no, this, this is not, we're not going to do this. Oh, you're, oh, we are. Oh no. no. Oh, okay. We're going to whip you. So that really doesn't happen. Uh, anyway. Yeah. So that was the situation. Oh, my God. And then this, if you were to look back and go, you're out of your body and go, why did why me? How did I get into this life? All these losing of identity, which I'm sure and you were just developing your identity. And then the polarity of United States, especially Brooklyn, New York, you know, free riding your bikes. I grew up in the city. I know what it's like, the freedom and your parents go come home when dark, you know, when it's dark and <laughs> and then going to a repressive country and knowing in countries like that, I've never lived in another country, but you found people 
the friends that introduced you to like Deepak Chopra and other new thought leaders that talk about ancient wisdom and all that kind of stuff. Then you get into a crowd that labeled as bad because of drugs or whatever. It was fulfilling something because you you wanted to escape. You know, there's this higher self and lower stuff. Did you ever think that, do you think it was trauma and grief? Tell me about your grief. You're crying every night. Tell me about that. Did it last through this whole period from 17 to 23? Did you have respites from that where you just sort of gave in? I'm here. That's it. Had a level of stop. The suicidal thoughts came in when the one the suicidal thoughts kicked in. So the crying let out a lot of dark emotions. And then I was giving my parents attitude and I, I actually ran away twice and then it, I was like, all right, this is a dead end. I'm, I'm just going to, I can't do this. This is, I don't want to get married. Uh, there's no opportunity for a female like myself. Like I want to climb that ladder. And my parents are not willing to change their mind. And then when my mother saw this, she actually had a really, like this was the life-changing meeting uh, with my dad that this is the end of all you're wanting to stay in your country. We're going back. We're going back because... She called me a couple of times with a knife in the kitchen and stuff. So she she got really scared. So the crying was great. That led to those thoughts. And that led to taking me to like the Dr. Phil of, the, of Tehran. And he told my parents, you guys are out of your mind. If you thought she's going to survive here, that's she is in a lot of pain. And I had gotten into like a coma mode at some point. Like there, I was, I was, I had become numb. And when my mom, I remember, came to me and she told me we're going back, I still didn't believe her. I said, you know, you guys are just trying to joke with me. So one or two days I feel better. And then the joke's up. I said, when I see those tickets, our passports, us packing, then I'll be okay. And even then I was like, they're going to catch us. Like I was so scared of the border and all that stuff. And the day that we came back and I walked into JFK, that was the day that I, I like I was I was OK again. Wow. That is powerful. Yeah. I, just to live that life of a young girl. How did you survive? Just as for our listeners who are maybe someplace they don't want to be. They could be an abusive relationship. Not saying your parents was abusive, but in some way, the act, even them not knowing that forget the word abuse, but being somewhere, you know, even though they're their loved ones and they wanted what was best for you. And they thought they were protecting you. What can you tell people like even someone who doesn't realize they're harming their spouse or children or whatever from maybe family of origin stuff. And they think it's just normal. How could that person that's going through something similar to you, not necessarily living country, what would you say? You said you did poetry and you also sought help you took the actions you could by getting jobs and you made friends and all that. You did the best you can do. And what I love is that just that fire and spirit and you probably just strengthened in some way. While you may have gotten weaker, some areas or felt weakened, it maybe was making you stronger or I know I'm throwing a lot at you. Tell me what you think about that. No, it's okay. I honestly think Charlene, if anyone is going through any pain, don't forget a couple of things and write these down journal in the morning that 
no matter how much pain and no matter there's no way out, there's always something to the adversity that you're going through. There's always a flip and try to just take a breath and know that that is trying to communicate something with me. If I had not gone through what I went through, I couldn't be mentoring the girls in their teenage years today. And that's the most fulfilling part of my legacy or my life right now. When I see that I could help someone shift their thoughts and realize, okay, my parents, they don't, they know what they know. That's okay. They're not victims in this, even though I hated them. It took 10 years for me to heal. And I think I'm still healing. I, I went to New York for 10 years. So I think for anyone that's in a grieving mode, whether you're grieving uh, a messy divorce or identity crisis or business failure, it's, it's okay. Let the emotions go through you. Be a third person observer, watch it, feel it, and know that within that adversity, there's always something that you can look forward to and reach out for help. I started putting mentors, people that positively impacted my life. And those mentors, when I went into my New York City, you know, that my 30s decade, I went to New York to figure it out. The mentors helped me. And then I started reading the books that would help me, going to conferences that would help me and disassociating with people that would bring back that trauma because I was still healing from that trauma, right? Mm -hmm. um, people say, I don't even like using the word boundaries because I think what you resist persists. Yes. So I just... You know, if anybody is bothering me, instead of like saying, oh, this is the problem, say this is the answer. I'm not going to say this is the problem and this is the boundary that I'm drawing and you better back off. I'm going to say this is the answer and this is this is my consolation. Instead of focusing on the problem, focus on the answer. So I started doing that. So anyone that's going through it, no, no. I mean, it couldn't be worse that me, they were going to cut my lips. I, I, I had 70 whips to my name. Um, what does that mean? And we have uh, people from worldwide listening here. So tell us a little bit about some of the repercussions that could have happened to you if it didn't. You had 17. 70. Yeah. So within within an Islamic country, you're supposed to wear this long coat and your legs are not supposed to be out after uh, a certain length. So uh, a little bit below the knees is the distance that is the um, measurement that your pants could, should be long to not make it look sexy or anything. So mine was a little bit shorter. It was like ankles a little bit. It was kind of like halfway in between my knee and my ankle. And this was considered like sh super short. And then I was wearing my scarf, but my scarf, you know, the scarf should be here. My scarf was falling down my head, which mind so you- needed to be on the forehead because this is audio. So it was above your eyebrows? Yeah, it should be like, yeah, you know, a little bit of root is okay, but mm -hmm. it was kind of like halfway in my head kind of like, you know, a little mask bit. wearing. It wasn't <laughs> <laughs> underneath the nose mask. <laughs> Not to lighten it because this is serious stuff is happening. And then what yeah. about the lips? You, your lips, they would have um, threatened to, is that part of a punishment or a law? Or no, I, in my late teens, I think I was 19 and I was trying to be sexy. And it was like, I was kind of like putting red lipstick on and putting mascara on. And I was, I was going out to buy bread, but I was like, I'm going to get all glammed up because, you know, I wanted to attract attention and I wanted to feel my femininity. I, I, I had just stepped, it was my early twenties. And then, you know, lo and behold, one of the um, Islamic guards called me and he's like, what are you doing? You're trying to arouse men. You're trying to be all that sexy and stuff. And 
mind you, what is the 19 year old girl going to do? And I, I, I was going, you know, it's like my shoes were like, can you, what were your shoes? Like describe my shoes were just regular sandals. I mean, the red lips and everything was like Mac inspired. And then the shoes were just like, I don't know. It, it was a uh, pay less shoe source. It was like nothing. <laughs> it was nothing to think that I'm going to be on the runway for fashion week and I'm trying to arouse men. So all of this misinterpretation, I felt like, what am I doing wrong every day going to work? Oh, you're supposed to be like this. And you're not supposed to laugh with men like that. And, and, uh, you know, when you laugh, you like say, <laughs> that's too loud for a woman. You should like be a little bit on the lower end. Why can't I be myself? I was accepted in Brooklyn. Nothing has changed except my geography. So the grieving took a long time, especially uh, reconstructing that relationship with my parents. I had to sit down on Father's Day and tell my dad that I forgave him mm. because for a long time I did not. And, and with my mom, I never, I always knew she wasn't the main decision maker. It was my father that made the main decision. And it was my mother that helped me come back. So, you know, it's just the ins and outs of the culture, you know, and then I find it my responsibility to break that chain yeah. for my daughter or whoever, my goddaughters or whoever females in my life or males, doesn't matter. Thank you for sharing that. And forgiveness. It's not like you're condoning, yes, I'm condoning that us moving to another country, Tehran. How did you forgive them? Did you see them as not just your dad and mother as oppressors? What was your view of them when you got to the final forgiveness for them? Even though it's probably, I don't know if you have a little inkling of it still, of, of anger towards them, or tell me about that. How did, what did you do to finally forgive them? And what changed in you? Well, I did a lot of work, a lot of self-reflection work, but, uh, you know, you come to the point where you say, these guys, they didn't have a user manual when they got nominated to be my mom and dad, and they're not victims in this. My dad never said, oh, I want you to get arrested and have 70 whips or be condoned to 70 whips. My dad never said those things. My dad said, I really want you to be happy. And this is what I think is best. By forgiveness, I let go of all the repression I had inside. They or me, we are not the victims. The situation was as such that we suffered. So you come to the point to realize that no human being, especially when a parent and child are involved, they always want the best. So that's what I came to realize that he is not the victim, nor am I. And by forgiveness, I let go of all the anger inside of me because I'm sick and tired of it. I'm sick and tired of dealing with it on you know, I always had an issue coming back for the Persian New Year. I'm, I'm, I'm full Iranian, even though I grew up in New York and I, I didn't want to deal with it. And I say, you know what? It's part of me. It's part of who I am. And I could always allot some time and experience that part with forgiveness, letting go of that baggage within me. Yeah. I like when you said you got sick and tired of being sick and tired. I don't know if you did tired of being sick and tired, of, of <laughs> tired. but sometimes that's what it takes. And then you had something in your heart open for your parents. How beautiful is that? And it's not saying it's an easy thing, but did, all of a sudden, you, all the work you did, do you, do you feel like then your heart opens when you least expect it? Was it an unexpected forgiveness or was it, how did you start looking at them a different way? Anything you did to help with the healing, like maybe wrote in a journal, you talked about poetry. Always. I always wrote in my journal. I, um, I started seeing a therapist to open my, ask me the right questions because I wasn't asking myself the right questions, but I was very picky in the therapist that I chose because 
I think I'm super smart and I don't need a therapist. Well, that's not the case. I needed one, but I needed the right one. And so I did, I went to a lot. And if I see, I didn't really vibe with them. It was great. Just didn't align with me, but I needed someone to ask me those hard questions. What is it that I want? What is it that I want to achieve? What is it that I'm running from? And for the longest time, I never wanted to move back to California because I didn't want to be near my parents. We're all from New York, but we moved here eventually. And when I went back to Manhattan, that blockage kept me from meeting like a man or, you know, that blockage was like, even if I wanted to meet a man, it had to go through this blockage. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So this had to be resolved. And how I did it, journaling, putting three or four great mentors that today are by my side still, reading. Everybody has a form of energy purging. I dance. I play tennis. I do a lot of stuff. If Eckhart Tolle is coming to town, I make sure to go. If there's a certain author that is having a talk, I make sure to go. I listen to all of Oprah's. I listen to the podcasts that have a positive effect or bring in people that can make it like the Gary V's or uh, the Brene Browns or Gabrielle Bernstein. So I start following them and it makes a difference. It makes a difference. And we're all a work in progress, whether it's a Brene Brown or a Poppy Farsijani. She knows something that maybe I don't know. So I could grasp that. Yeah, I believe we're all teaching each other. And look at your life today. You're on this podcast today. I know you show up. You're, you. you're sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us. Thank you. And I hope it touches some heart and maybe awakens that, like you said, where you think there's no way. There's a way. Sometimes you just need to be quiet. You write from your very heart and soul and your authentic self. Right now I'm working in positive intelligence. Mm -hmm. And we talk about our saboteurs, which is like judgment, hypervigilance, hyperachiever, stickler, and so many things. And how do we get to our sage? And all this stuff, our saboteurs are just in our brain. There's a lot of brain stuff going on Mm -hmm. on the neurological part of us. And how do we shift it? Discovery is not recovery. You can discover all day long, but not really Mm -hmm. have recovery. So do the work. You're listening here. Bravo. And I know we have to go because we're under a little time constraint, but how is everything going? What's happening today? Everything is great. Honestly, everything is awesome. I just launched my second company. We're working on the picture for the book. In fact, I was talking to a major producer this morning. We finished the follow-up to Shaming My Red Lips. So Shaming My Red Lips 2 will be coming out soon. And thank you. Everything, honestly, Charlene, I am so grateful. It's been a long journey, but I want to tell everybody you are so darn special. Don't ever forget it. Every one of us has a fingerprint and it's different. So make sure you leave your fingerprint on the world because it's something that no one else has. And just with love and kindness and gratitude and drawing boundaries with people that don't align with you and sending them love and hoping that all of us finds our path. But everything is great. I'm super happy and it's working nonstop. Yeah, growing, working, having fun. And you're contributing women's empowerment, talking on grief, grief recovery now, as I said before, and your show on Amazon. Let me say real quick. She's on LinkedIn at Papi Farsijani, 
Facebook, Instagram. You'll see all of this in the notes and go get the book, Shaming My Red Lips. It's fascinating. She's a great storyteller (laughs) and she's a motivational speaker, journalist, entrepreneur, and just Google her. She's a force to be reckoned with. Thank you so much. A powerful being woman on our planet. And so happy to know you and just so privileged to have you on. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And when Shaming My Red Lips 2 comes out and the movie, we'll get you back on here. (laughs) Sounds good to me. (laughs) Okay, Poppy. You remind me of the name when I grew up in Chicago. It was a Polish and Eastern Europe and um, Puerto Rican neighborhood. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of guys whose names were Poppy. So you just brought brought it back. To me. <laughs> but hey, that's Poppy. Poppy with an A, not with an O. I'm with an O. Yeah, I <laughs> <laughs> just want to put that out there. You know. I get it. Thank you so much. And everybody, we're on all the podcast platforms and Facebook, LinkedIn. We're on Instagram, which is great. Our Facebook page, we have a private page called Grief Recovery Now. Come on in. I'll get you in. Just ask if you can come in and I'll I'll let you in. Looking forward to talking to you all again. And we'll see you soon. Peace, love, and harmony. Bye, everybody. Bye, Poppy. Thank you. Bye, Charlene. Thank you for joining our Grief Recovery Now journey. Like what you heard? It would be the biggest compliment to our mission if you would please subscribe, rate, and review Grief Recovery Now on Apple Podcasts. And we'll keep you posted on our next podcast. If you don't have Apple, we are also on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Also, please join our private Facebook group, Grief Recovery Now. And if you are in need of any personal attention, Please contact me with the link on this podcast page, which is griefrecoverymethod.com forward slash GRMS forward slash Charlene dash Gorzella. It would be an honor to hear from you.